Hi guys, we're going to spend a few minutes going through a listener's question. Uh, I'm not going to give the details of the the name or anything else like that. If you would like to email me, radio at gmail.com. It's M-E-G-I-D-D-O radio at gmail.com. And I will keep it private. And if you don't mind me using your details or anything, I want people to tell me that before. I mention, and I'll try to keep any personal details out of things if I ever do respond to it in this way, but just put it at the bottom of the email. But this email is a, it was such a great question that I said, you know what, this might help other people. And I said, rather than writing out, I don't know, a page of an email that would probably take about the same amount of time, why not do a video on it? So I'm going to read out the question here, um, from this listener and, um, see if we can hopefully be hopefully this is a help to this person and you can let me know in an email hopefully it is uh, and hopefully be a blessing to you listening in so this is about cultural engagement and especially with all the political things that are happening the changes in society how much do we engage in the culture how do we engage in the culture and how do we do it in a Christ honoring way i suppose that's the 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 topic of the video here and uh hopefully we can do that uh the uh in this email it says it is about christians in politics and trying to engage the culture examples like Doug Wilson Jeff Durbin etc for starters, should there be a separation between church and state? Great question. Now, okay, there's the Puritan reformed view of separation of church and state. I suppose this that terminology wasn't exactly used back then. And there's the American post-1776 understanding of it. Yes, there is a distinction between, there is a separation between church and state. And by the way, I'm coming to you from a reformed Presbyterian covenanter perspective you probably can guess by the jumper if you notice the banner so yes there is a distinction they both have their own spheres of influence but it doesn't mean that the state is godless it doesn't mean that the state acknowledges all religions the state is to recognize the according to the Solomon covenant of 1643 the the, the state is to see church or, sorry, Christ as the head of the state, and Christ as the head of the church. It, but yet they are to have distinctive roles. Okay, so that's how that would be a reformed covenanter view of separation of church and state. Yes, they have their own distinct roles, but they're both under God. Romans 13 is a good example. They are ministers of God. Okay. Now, how other groups will understand that, you know, the, will vary. Okay. But let's put it like this. It's okay to disobey God when? Never, hopefully, is the answer you're going to give me. And if you're a politician, you're to serve God. And how is, how are you going to serve God? And how are you going to do righteous good deeds, it's according to God's law, summarized in the Ten Commandments, summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two great commandments, okay, summarized by Christ in the New Testament. So, he, this email goes on to say, some Christians, and by the way, don't think about, 
there's a lot of people engaged in the culture, not just Doug Wilson and not just Jeff Durbin. Lots and lots of people. They just happen to be the people who are well-known. Okay, we'll get into that a bit more. Some Christians think that the state should attend to their business and leave the, ch leave the church alone with their business. I, yes, um, to an extent, uh, I believe the biblical role of the state is to promote true religion. If you want more of a fleshed out explanation of that, go read the 1643 um, Solemn Covenant, which talks about, and this is what Covenanters, Reformed Presbyterians believe, that the state is there to promote true religion. It's supposed to be like a nursing mother to the church. It's not supposed to have any jurisdiction you could say in ruling in discipline or anything else like that if you have the king or a president or whatever else in a church they are to be treated just like anybody else but they are distinct jurisdictions they are distinct governments this is why i believe you shouldn't be serving as a minister and serving as a politician it's not that Christians should never be in politics. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a conflict of interest. They're two different, you know, like how the Americans are probably listening, you know, and you've got the different branches of government. Each of those things keep each other in check. The church, the state, if it's being biblical, should promote true religion. It should promote unity in the church. And how that would... To say that it has no view in religion whatsoever would be kind of saying that it has no view of the church, which wouldn't be very Christian at all. A, a, a Christian state, if you want, will always have some view of the church. Okay. Now, again, it doesn't have any involvement in the sacraments. And and in the current environment which we live in, yes, we want the church or the state to leave us alone because they're godless. But we have to think about these things biblically. If somebody's in that role, what is the role of the state? It, they carry the sword for good. Things like that. Romans 13. Okay. While others believe the state has authority over the church... Okay, that would be Erastianism, that would be Episcopalianism. Well, Episcopalianism believes in a kind of a hierarchy, but Erastianism believes that the state is over the church. That's not biblical. Don't have time to get into it here, but as a Presbyterian, as a Reformed Presbyterian, as a Covenanter, um, they are, the state is not rule over the church. That is something that my covenant forefathers fought against. Erastianism. And by the way, we've got an encroaching Erastianism today. Because we have a state, the state telling us how we are going to worship God. We've got to really think about that. And it says, while others believe God is over the state, yes, he is over the state, he's over everything. Um, every Christian should believe that God is over the state, 
He's over your family. He's over your church. He's over everything. It's not one or the other um, here. Even if, it's, the email goes on to write, even if practically the, co the country is not a Christian nation, regardless of whether they profess to be Christian or not, they're still under the authority of Christ. Regardless of what they may claim or what anything else. Because it's like saying, I, I know what you're saying and I, I know you're not saying this, but pagan leaders in pagan countries doing wicked things is still a sin against God. He is... Christ is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All nations, regardless of whether they call them Christian or otherwise, it's irrelevant. They're still to, to, to submit to Christ. Um, and by the way, later on, some eschatology email, postmail kind of comes into this email as well. And I, I understand why people ask that, but this really should be not something that is about email, postmail. Okay, it does kind of come up with dispensational dispensationalist pre-mill but or hi historic pre-mill should be okay too that we should just believe that we should submit to god in all of life submit to submitting to his law the email says i think that god is above everything but practically it would be hard to govern a nation over such wickedness in a more unchristian nation again you're thinking about practically you have to think about yeah, it'd be like um, the practicality of doing things. The Christian life, standing for Christ, is hard. And you're going to face opposition. And you're going to be persecuted for it. The practicality of it, the difficulty of it, doesn't really come into it. Um, Jesus came and proclaimed a message that got him killed the martyrs for the first couple of hundred years of the church came and were martyred for standing on something that people didn't want to accept. Now you're talking about as magistrates and judges. You're going to face opposition for standing for the law of God and for the gospel. Now, the law and the gospel are to be kept distinct. But you're going to suffer for that. So to govern a nation over such wickedness in a more un... Yeah, every and every nation on their planet has had the same issues, really. But we still have... We have a responsibility. Whatever sphere you're in, you are to take the rule of heaven and apply. What did what did Jesus say in uh, the, the model prayer and Lord's prayer? That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Submission to God. So whatever sphere you're in. Now, pray for leaders that they would form the law according, as much as they possibly can. Most leaders cannot. You know, if, you, if a leader does all that he can under the law of the land to bring things in, in accordance with the law of God, they're doing their best, okay? That you go as far as you can under the influence that you've been given to bring all things under the authority of Christ. We can only do the things that we've been given. We can't do the things that we haven't been given. Okay, so how far are we? Oh, wow, we're 11 minutes into this. Apologies. I was hoping this would be a quick video. Yet some pastors are saying that is why we need to be in politics to influence change, uh, to bring it to a more Christian nation. Depends what you mean by politics. Petition government, petition 
judges in certain countries in certain situations it's a good it, it's probably a good idea for christians to to represent it depends really if you're somebody who's going to compromise in that role as a minister of god and they say minister of god in the romans 13 sense then don't go into it but um we need to change hearts and minds first and foremost but there's nothing wrong with somebody going into politics if as long as they don't sin by doing so and in that role. It's a difficult position to be in. It really just depends. The wrong Christians going into politics can do more harm as well. So it's not a simple tie it up in a bow answer that I can give you there. Like that is how non-believers have pushed for LGBT rights, gay marriage, abortion, etc. So Christians need to get into politics to do the same, to fight it. That's a very much, that's very much contrary, kind of a top-down, we need to get the power and an influence from the top-down. Where really, I believe a Christian worldview is, for, and I'm post-mill, I'm post-millennial by the way, okay? It's from the bottom up. Again, it is not that you abandon these institutions or anything else like that. But that's not where the change is going to come, at least not lasting change. You can have some kind of limited reformation if the king is a Christian or something like that. You can have a kind of a Josiah moment in history. Remember King Josiah and Judah? A little bit of a reformation, but it all kind of fell apart pretty quickly afterward with King Manasseh. So you can have that, but it's very limited. What you really want, and for it to really last, it must be changing hearts through the gospel. From the bottom up, not from the top down. And the top down approach is very much um, the modern school of post-millennialism, which which is promoted by people like Bonson and others. And, you know, was, you know, in the last 50 to 100 years, very, very different to the Puritan form of post-millennialism or even the older form of post-millennialism for that matter. Really, the difference between the two is the John Owen and the Puritan hope, written by Ian Murray, very much a... It's through the gospel that the millennium will come in. It's not through taking over institutions and from the top down and we're all going to make everything Christianized. Again, I'm not saying that don't you, if you have influence and you can have influence that you don't use it, but that's not our main hope. It can be a little bit both end, but there's a lot of focus through theonomy, which has been really in the last 50 years, uh, Rush Dooney and other people like that and they act like there's a complete pattern of what the state should do in every single situation especially when it comes to the judicial judicial laws such as the death penalties and all that kind of stuff um, that approach is very much top down yes God is to rule everywhere but if we're going to say what's our priority what's our main focus the gospel the gospel. Otherwise, it'll all fall apart really, really quickly. Okay, so the next paragraph. In addition, that is why Christians are... Consi 
are considered to be what Doug Wilson and Je Jeff Durbin called godly troublemakers. Um, from the little bit that I've seen of Jeff Durbin, he seems to be influenced by Bonson and the mo more modern school post mill. I'm post mill. I don't. I can think of very few people who are post mill today that I agree with. I think the American post mills I generally disagree with, and the more Scottish post mills I tend to agree with. Um, from what I've seen, I think John Murray was post mill, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was a professor in Westminster. Um, this whole thing about godly troublemakers is, depending on what is meant by it, it's not helpful. We're supposed to be, you know, the, the Beatitude says, blessed are the peacemakers. We're to be peacemakers. Now, by being peacemakers, we share the gospel. By being peacemakers, we try to, you know, you go to the abortion places and you try to convince women not to have an abortion and you help them and all that kind of thing. We're to be for peace, but sadly the world is for war. There's this enmity between seed and... It dep Look, it depends what you mean by it. I think it's an unhelpful term, being a godly troublemaker. I think be, be a godly peacemaker. Because if you're looking for trouble and you see trouble as the, the, the sign of you being orthodox and faithful, oh, uh, that's not good. <laughs> is trouble going to find you? More than likely, but don't go looking for trouble. That's 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 not a good idea. Uh, like, get loud and fight by getting political. Protested abortion clinics use Facebook to preach against LGBT engagement marriage. Uh, be a street preacher at events with fire and brimstone because people need to hear about their sin and hell more than God loves you. Um. Well, God is love, and God's love is the standard of God's law. Um, if you love me, keep my commandments. So they're not at odds with each other. Just It just has to be explained in a loving way. Preaching has to be done in the right way. I mean, this whole thing of... It has to be done in a way that shows and communicates through your, your manner... And the words that you use, that you care about that person on the street. And you're not trying to get your jollies out of telling them that they're going to hell. Okay, that's the short... And, which, and on all these things, by the way, what you're doing is taking the law of God and applying it to everyday life. Okay, that's what you need to do. Um, he says, need we say anything about COVID, like wearing to wear masks, refuse the vaccination, preach against the government, and use... Christian language to turn the tide. Ministers are to preach the gospel. They're to call out sin. Um, the thing about wearing masks is I think it should be a personal decision. I don't think anybody should be forcing anybody to wear masks. If people want to wear masks, they should. I don't, nobody should be. I wear them as little as I possibly can because I just... I, I think the whole thing is 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 a joke, and, it, and it's gone on for way too long. It's nearly been two years. What to flatten the curve at this point? So, but I don't. But I also don't want it to be something that divides me between me and other Christians. If it is a bit of a tightrope, there's the the, the fear mongering that has been reverberated from the media to everybody else and I don't like that kind of thing and I kind of I kind of resist that as much as I possibly can hopefully in a loving way 
I've probably failed a, a number of times, but um, I think it's important that we show our face um, and we smile at each other and we greet each other and we don't go around hiding ourselves, you know. But again, what you need to unite us is the gospel. In all these things, whatever your whatever position you take, refuse the vaccination. Um, I think it's evil and wrong vaccine mandates, and to force anybody in medical procedures, it, it's against the law. It, 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 it's against the Nuremberg. Um, what was it? The Nuremberg Code of it was in nineteen forty seven. Informed consent. It, 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 this is ethics. This is medical ethics. Nobody should be forced against their will to take any medicine. We're in really dangerous, horrible territory when we get into that kind of thing. I think we need to we need to protect people and, and stand up for people and reject and be very, very vocal in our rejection of anything like digital IDs or any idea that we would reject somebody based upon a medical decision that they made, doesn't matter what it is. The message of the, the church needs to be the message of Christ, which is come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, all, not all of you with your vaccine passports or anything like that. So it's disgusting and wrong and we should be against it. And we should call out where applicable be careful with hobby horses, but where applicable, and when it comes up in the text, preferentialism. The Bible is against preferring rich people above poor people. You know, that's in James. So these things are in the scriptures. And I will say this. If you want answers to these things, go into the scriptures, see what the, the scripture writers were applying to in that time, and then apply it to today. And you'll find that many of these things can resolve themselves, if you want to put it like that. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. We should not be showing preference one toward another. Um, what else is it saying in this email? Very good email. Really enjoyed reading it. I was like, got to do a video on this. Um, also to be preaching against the wrongs of the church and cowardice and sinfulness, um, like a John MacArthur type, preach against culture of conviction. It depends on the situation. Yes, sometimes it needs to be done. Um, but again, not excessively. There's other things. And you've got to make sure that in the preaching of these things against cowardice and against everything else, that we do not treat the church outside of our building as the enemy. As long as you can say that, that you're not going to treat the people who disagree with you as the enemy. It happens all the time. It happens a lot in church history. Um, power and aggression, even if we view it as loud troublemakers. Look, we can't do anything about what, what, like, our love may be viewed as hate. But we don't go out to be troublemakers. You don't start there. You go out to be peacemakers. They argue Christ was like this, especially against the Pharisees. I, yeah, Christ was like that in one scenario against incredible hard-heartedness in the midst of the temple, doing something they were told not to do. Um, and I'll put it like this. You don't start off with the bazooka. It takes wisdom and knowledge to know 
when you have a righteous anger. But if you go through the book of John, for example, how tender and loving is Christ? And it's a long way until you get to Matthew 23, when Jesus says, Woe unto you, Pharisees, scribes, and hypocrites. Christ is patient, even with his enemies. But then it comes to the point where he does rebuke sharply. Not with not foul language, by the way. That's, that's complete nonsense. Um, but I digress. Even if they don't succeed, it is a better way to win many battles than the overall war for Christ. Um, I don't know, there's, a, there's an expression, you win... Was it what you win more with honey than you do with? With most of the time, Christ was not whipping people around everywhere. And by the way, his anger, Christ's anger, is was never ever sinful. Ours often is. So we've got to have that caution of we're sinners. We make mistakes and we mess up. I've heard other Christians, this email says, say that ultimately we, we will not change the nation to where most of the world is Christian. These are mostly email believers. I, yeah, I don't think that matters so much. It doesn't matter. If you were told, right, that it doesn't, you know, like, that the world is going to get worse and worse or the world is going to get better and better, it doesn't matter. We're supposed to be faithful for what we've been given. End of story. And we've been told to, to share the gospel. We don't know. By the way, can we acknowledge that people will get saved? That there's Christ's elect out there? Well, then share the gospel with them. And God's in control and God will be ultimately victorious. Whatever view you have, but I am post-mill myself. But there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Does everybody agree with that? Okay, new heavens and a new earth. That will come in. And so, be faithful to the victor. The conqueror. Be faithful to Christ. That as Christians, we... Uh, this email says again. That as Christians, we are to show love and not to be loud troublemakers as the world needs us to be a good witness. I think I've kind of already covered that. You know, you may be seen by the world as troublemakers, but you're really seeking for peace, biblical peace in the gospel. And that comes in Christ. That Jesus preached more upon Christian unity and division. Um, and it is the love of Christ that shows the world the power of the gospel. It, again, it's not an either or. In, in obeying Christ... And showing love to your neighbor, that shows the love of Christ. And to rebuking somebody, that is also done in love. So it's not an either or, it's a both end. Okay? That we should not engage in politics and let the world deal with it. Um, if it's like run to the hills mentality, don't have any, don't have anything to do with that. That's nothing to do with you. That's a very much, it's almost an Anabaptist view of the world. It, there's extremes with both of these positions. There's a, there's a, we've got to be in America, head of the Republican Party or the DUP up here in Northern Ireland, or be it the Conservative Party in, in, in England or whatever, 
right? That's how we affect change. There's that one extreme. We, we've got to be involved in politics. You know, the 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 basically the Ian Paisley um, view in Northern Ireland that didn't end well. <laughs> he let um, the IRA into power, which isn't good. It's a, for those of you who don't know, who the IRA is imagine if Donald Trump or anybody else let in ISIS. Yeah, you probably wouldn't think the greatest of them afterwards. So the problem with politics is not that the role of magistrate is wrong. It's just often when you talk about politics, you often talk about pragmatism and, and worldly politics and compromise. That's the problem. And then the other extreme is we don't have any engagement. We don't, we don't, we don't encourage our elected officials to do the right thing. Now, what we should also do, by the way, just say somebody, you, you have an elective official down the road from you and you see them and they stood up against abortion, say, well, it would be a good idea, maybe to write them a letter or to say thank you for standing up for um, the rights of babies or whatever. So, and that's part of God's common grace. So we can encourage them, pray for them to do the right thing. What's most important thing is they come to Christ, but... So there is, we're to be salt and light, and that's the way we can be salt and light in the world. We try to influence people to do the right thing and call upon them for what their responsibility is, those who are already in power. Um, get back to this here. That we should not engage in politics. And, well, I don't agree with that. It's not an either-or answer. But we instead focus on preaching the gospel to our neighbor. Then... At the abortion clinic, again, there's, it's a both end. It's a both end. Um, and, it, and it just, it depends. Where is your abortion clinic? Where abortions taking place? Use wisdom. Not every location is suitable for street preaching. If it's a quiet street, and all you see is a few quiet girls getting you know, kind of running into some back hospital or something like that. You with a megaphone is probably not going to encourage them. But if you, have, and this is, I've seen brothers and sisters do this, you know, have a sign that says, please don't kill your baby. Or some kind of thing that says, you know, we're here for you if you want help. But I'm also not against in the right scenario. Again, it takes wisdom. It depends on the situation. Um, street preaching is wonderful. Make sure it's done in the right way. Remember, most some of the women are are hardened killers, right? But a lot of them as well are are scared, confused young girls who've gotten into trouble, and. A quiet word will do far greater than a megaphone or whatever. So just look at the situation. Look at where you are. If you're on a major, major street and, and lots of passers by and you can do preaching, great. Go for it. Um, but it, it, it just depends. And, and pray over it. Pray over whatever you do. Um, it, it can't be just a one-size-fits-all. Although I'm a big big believer in street preaching as we all should be because preaching the word is powerful um okay i'm gonna skip ahead here a little bit so i can finish off here 
Can't believe this video is 31 minutes. That too many Christians are fighting within each other while we call to live a quiet, peaceful life. Um, yeah, we are, but peace where possible, truth at all costs. I think that was the Luther quote. Sometimes you're not looking for trouble. You're not trying to stir things up. But in your stand for Christ and the gospel, that creates a reaction. Well, you must be faithful to Christ above all else. But you'll be surprised. People will stand with you a lot of the time. So you won't be alone. There's other sheep out there. Where we would sit say that they are not showing love for each other when they say that we are being cowards. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. And I think there's another paragraph there, but it's kind of somewhat similar. I think we need to be careful about... Not everybody's got the same temperament. Not everybody's got, we're all, we all are weak and failing. Even the greatest saints upon the earth. If you look back at their earlier years, before the, the things that end up in their biographies, you'd probably be disappointed in them too. We need to think the best of each other. The best, not the worst, but the best of each other. However, at the same time, there is, with regards to the virus and other things, there is a lack of courage. But where does, how are you going to help those people get the courage? I would argue that telling them they're cowards and beating them over the head probably won't help we should urge them against cowardice but incur there's there are some people you have to distinguish between there's the person who's really trying and just failing just needs encouragement and that encouragement will be the difference between them being a coward and being and standing for truth and when they do make that stand Encourage them. But if you see somebody very clearly abandoning things and then they need sharp rebuke, but that doesn't happen as much as you think within the church, you'll note a lot of people around you, if you're in a good church, a lot of people around, they're sincere. They love Christ imperfectly. They're trying their best and they're often not sure what to do. I would just say, encourage them. You find that what can come in is a, is, a, is a frustration with certain people. And they want to change everything yesterday. And they're not patient. And they can end up bullying people and manipulating people. It lasts for a while. It may look impressive results and may get a lot of views on YouTube or whatever else the case may be. But eventually it kind of evaporates. What we need to see is lasting change in Christian, in, in ordinary believers' lives. So hopefully that's been a help to you. There's not one simple answer. My, my advice is go through the scriptures. 
love the scriptures, hide them in your heart, see how they applied it to their time, because they did, and apply the, the truth where you have influence, and that's all. That's all. If you're already a politician or a policeman or whatever, okay then. Then you have a greater influence, or you have a greater sphere of authority and power and things like that that God has given you. And you have extra, you're, you're, you're a doctor, you're a nurse. Then you have extra difficulties with ethics. Wrestle with the word of God. Call out to God. Don't just kind of go, I'm not going to think about this. I'm just going to do what the WHO says or whatever else like that. No, you really got to think about it. Because the situation continues to change over the last 18, 19, 20 months. And, you know, I think, in my opinion, however imperfect, I think lockdown was a disaster. It was, it was, a, it was created more damage then it helped. The cure was worse than the disease, unfortunately. But I think at that point, it was right for us to do it, even though it wasn't a great decision. At the beginning, and it should have been only a short-term thing, but as time went on, as it became evident of the cruelty and the oppression against neighbors, now is the time we need to know more. It's no longer, it can no longer be defined as loving to continue, in my opinion, to continue to support these measures that dehumanize, demoralize, and destroy people's lives. Hopefully that's been a help to you. If you've got any questions, Radio at gmail.com. This has been Paul Flynn. Talk to you again soon.